great having you here on the Clark Howard Show, where we all learn together. We're learning ways to keep every dollar we've got, and we're helping you do that at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com. So want to talk about some things involving where you are financially. You know, a lot of people with one quarter of Americans out of work, a lot of people are having a tough time. And right now, many of that quarter unemployed are finally seeing the unemployment funds flow. And depending on your situation going into coronavirus, maybe you've been able to write your financial ship. Maybe not. Maybe some of it's okay, some of it's not. But I'm hearing so many frustrated complaints from people trying to deal with an organization, typically a bank, when you're having trouble making your payments. You know, I've said through my entire career, which spans 33 years now, that the key when you hit a rough spot financially is early and often stay in touch with the people you owe money to. Unfortunately, there are so many people trying to contact, uh, particularly a bank with a credit card or um, any kind of loan product with them, that you're having trouble getting through, you're having trouble getting consistent answers, and you're having trouble with the banks following the laws that are pertaining to coronavirus. I want you to know that Do not get discouraged if you get somebody at customer no service at a bank that doesn't care, is mean-spirited, doesn't know, whatever. Thank them very much. Tell them you got to go. There's your food on the stove. I don't care what you tell them. Just get off that, that phone call and call back and get somebody else. Because one of the things that's been true in what I've heard from people and what I've read in various news stories is the inconsistency with the banks. And this is not, I mean, I love to beat up on the banks, but this is not necessarily a bank cultural problem. It is a situation, the result of so many people working remotely with the guidance changing over time and with people not in a central call center, there's been such an inconsistency with what people are being told, that it's just hard to get the same message across to your employees and get the same response out to consumers or borrowers when people are working remotely. But when you do talk to somebody, make sure you get their name. Um, When you talk, you write down when you talk to them, the date. Um, If they use an employee number, you want that. Because what you want to do is you want to take notes and document what's been promised to you on what date. And let's face facts, too. You know, when we're overwhelmed, sometimes we hear what we want to hear. So that's why I want you to take notes and even ask. Now, I think I heard you say that I'm allowed to do this and you're going to allow me to not make a payment for a month and you're not going to report me as delinquent in that time and you get them saying yes or no to that and re-explain it to you 
if you didn't hear exactly what's going on. But manage this. And the more thorough you are with notes, the better. Let's take the example of you're told that you're going to be given a grace period and not be considered to be past due right now because of you contacting them. And then the next month, you get a dunning notice or a mean-spirited collection call. You can refer back to your notes and you say, hey, on this date, this time, this is what so-and-so told me. And so you have that information as your ammunition when somebody is not treating you right. But I want to deal with a more fundamental thing that is a back to basics, not necessarily even related to the current situation. And it's how important it is to have as little lifestyle debt as you possibly can. I mean, you think about credit card debt, and roughly six out of 10 of us ordinarily run balances on credit cards. So, on a regular basis, four in 10 people are always paying their balances in full. Six in 10 are always running balances. And these are just obviously rough numbers. And then paying an average interest rate of, let's say, 17, 18%. Now, think about this the cost of funds for the banks right now for money lent on credit cards is less than 1%. So they're borrowing the money. Their cost of funds is a fraction of 1% that they then mark up to 17%. How are they able to do that? Well, the reason is none of us use credit cards, at least initially, with the intent of using them as anything other than a payment system. We don't go into it fully expecting, most of us at least, that we're going to borrow money on them. We think we're only using them as an alternative to cash. But human nature being what it is, we see something, we want that something, we buy that something, and then the bill comes weeks later and it's like, oops, don't have the money for that, and you start carrying a balance. And you end up with that 17% interest, higher or lower. And so I'd like you, if you are in the three quarters of Americans that still have your job, you're still okay in that job for now, I'd like you to take this as a clear signal that if you are carrying personal debt, work on it. Work it down. Americans have already been much more careful spending money on things other than necessities. That means that some money may be freeing up in your budget each month. If it is, then be very, very mindful and methodical about paying down debt and get rid of that high-interest credit card debt. And we're answering your questions that you post at clark.com slash ask with producers Kim and Joel asking for you. And Kim, why don't you start things off? All right. This is from Matthew in Ohio. He says, I'm looking to build a nest egg for my daughter who is five months old now. I want something that she can use later in life, like for a home purchase or a wedding or something like that. Should I do a 529 plan alongside the nest egg? Or do you know if her having a nest egg would affect her ability to get a scholarship in the future? 
Okay, that's a great question, but the first question I have for you, why doesn't your five-month-old have a job yet? (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. All right. Uh, So 529 accounts are fantastic because you're able to use that money that grows for your child over the next 18 years tax-free, grows tax-free, spent tax-free, It's phenomenal. Not used for college. It's, uh, what's that old expression, bad ugly. Because you pay a 10% penalty plus the tax on all the gains over an 18 or so year period. But if college is in your family culture, doing a 529 plan would be first and a very high priority. Now, I need you to know, even though the number of crummy 529 plans in the country has reduced, there are still some terrible 529 plans that are sold uh, specifically by big brokerage houses, full commission brokerage houses, by um, banks, by anybody who you're dealing with a salesperson. 529 plans, the good ones are only bought direct. So it's direct sold, free of any commission. The irony is that the direct sold ones overwhelmingly have much lower ongoing expenses and they're commission free at clark.com i have my 529 plan guide so you can make sure you buy a low cost plan for your five month old now in line with the second part of what you asked if you with a 529 with along with the 529 plan put money aside for your child in savings or an investment account or anything like that the money that is outside of the 529 does hurt your child's eligibility for financial assistance and financial aid for college. So you want to minimize the amount that is held in a custodial account for benefit of a child when college is part of a family culture. Joel? Clark Sharon in California says, I'm a snowbird and I want to know the best way to stream TV in both locations without having to pay two separate bills. I also don't want to spend hours online or on the phone setting it up each time I go back and forth. So can I take just a, take a device with me and plug it into a TV and start watching? If so, which device is best and easiest? I, I usually you know, want about 50 channels to choose from. So you're going to love this. Um, in the prior era before all these streaming services, You would, if you were somebody who was a snowbird and you had a home one place and a home another, you were typically having to pay a pay TV bill at both locations. So you'd have one location always empty and you were still paying for the empty home to watch television. And as best I know, empty homes can't watch TV. With streaming services, they're totally portable. Wherever you are on your phone, you can watch. Wherever you are with your tablet or laptop, you can be watching. At any home you're at, you can watch. And people use devices like, my favorite is Roku, but producer Joel, I think you're still really into the Amazon Fire Stick for TV. You know, I got a Roku TV, when was it? Was it Black Friday? I think it was right before Black Friday. Um, a really good deal, so I'm, I'm, I'm on the Roku bandwagon now, but they're both great. Yeah, so Roku, in my opinion, is the superior way to stream television. 
Roku device is as cheap as 20 bucks. You plug it into your TV and your programming just migrates with you. So with Roku, Roku is just the, the device that allows you to very easily stream product on your TVs. And there are a variety of streaming services. There's uh, Hulu Plus Live. There's uh, YouTube TV. There's Sling TV. Those are three of the best choices out there, although the one that's best for you depends on which channels you typically prefer to watch. As a general rule, you'll be paying the cheapest of all for the least number of channels you tend to get is with Sling, but it is a good choice for people who really want to watch their money. But typically, you're going to pay about 50 a month and YouTube TV, of the ones I've tried pretty much every streaming product there is, YouTube TV has turned out to be my favorite and is 50 bucks a month. We have a streaming guide at Clark.com. If you go read it, you'll know what to do. Kim? This is from Montoya in Texas. He says, now that travel is ground to a halt, both literally and figuratively, what do we do with the benefits that some of our travel credit cards have offered? For instance, for one of my cards, I get a $200 a year credit for any airline. For another one, I get $300 cash back for any travel related expenses. I'm not going to travel this year for sure. I don't know about next year yet. So are these credit cards just wasted then? Or can I actually approach the credit card company for some sort of a refund? They carry very high annual fees. Great question. So some of the travel cards are now implementing non-travel benefits to deal with the concern they're having with so many people uh, firing the cards, what's known as the quit rate is skyrocketing with these high annual fee airline cards and travel cards. If you do not find that the alternative benefits they're offering are worth it, make sure you use those points you've accumulated in some way before you cancel, because otherwise you may forfeit points depending on what the nature of your travel reward card is. And then I would consider canceling, knowing that when you call to cancel, they may offer you a greatly reduced renewal for a period of time because of the lack of travel going on in your life right now. Today's Clark Rave is really an unusual one. I think about how many people benefit from therapy dogs. Uh, you know, there's a lot of anxiety in society normally. There's a lot more right now, though, with people adjusting to our public health emergency and people have lost contact with therapy dogs. Well, now there's a nonprofit group called People, Animals, and Love that has come up with a new model where they're doing virtual meetups instead of in person. And I saw an item in the Washington Post that they've been able to have many, many virtual sessions over Zoom or other video ways where kids are able to interact with the comfort dogs. The, uh, they're able to have over Zoom an opportunity to engage with these therapy animals. And I, 
I just know that you think about how pets so often, what's so amazing about them, they don't judge you. It's just such a comfort to so many people. And for people to lose that is terrible. And these kids are now able to read a book, listen to a song, whatever, and do it with the therapy dog. And it's actually called Read to a Pal Therapy Dog Session. I love it. And we need to be very mindful that our kids may be quiet about what's going on, but they pick up our energy. And if you've got a lot of anxiety, you're in a tough way because of the economic situation. Remember that your kids, even if they're silent about it, they're feeling it. I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you being empowered with knowledge so you can keep more of what you have. Our websites, Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com, our people are working so hard to bring you information that helps you stretch every dollar you've got, and I hope that you're finding the advice and guidance very useful. Now, I want to tell you that back during the real estate bust that we had that started in 07 and really didn't round trip in a lot of communities till 2014 or 2015, that one particular part of the market suffered earliest and the most. And it's the one part of real estate that I'm expecting is going to take it on the chin again. And that is second home communities. If you think about it with how many people are losing their jobs and people are having trouble paying their bills, if somebody has in their lives had the luxury in the past of having a first home and a second home, that when push comes to shove, what is it that you sacrifice? You sacrifice that second home. And I think we're going to see that. But I saw a market watch item about an additional factor today that didn't exist 13 years ago. And that is there's a market that has been created over the last several years because of people making businesses out of renting vacation properties over Airbnb and to a lesser extent VRBO. And so a lot of those properties were never purchased as the idea being your vacation home. They were purchased as an investment, in many cases carrying mortgages, and the rental income has gone to near zero for so many of these properties. It's going to create likely an additional inventory on the market of people who had what looked like a good business plan and model that suddenly doesn't feel so good right now. Now, predicting so many things as a result of a pandemic is a fool's errand, but I think it's a reasonable expectation that we're going to see disruption in the vacation market and that people will not yet, you're not going to see this effect yet, but people will 
be willing to take lower prices for buying vacation property later in this cycle. Uh, you know, it's as to how long this cycle lasts of reduced economic activity, it's a pretty fair guess that it's a two-year window that we'll see a reduced economic activity. And so the thing to do if you are somebody who loves the idea of having a place to retire to, you're in a financial position to be able to proceed that way, or uh, you're in a position to move towards having a vacation property, learn the area you're interested in, keep watching prices, obsess with them if you wish, and track the patterns. And I think you will see that there will be in many sub-markets of the vacation market, there will be price capitulation eventually where there will be deals available. Uh, here on the Clark Howard Show, we're alternating answering your questions that you posted at clark.com ask. And who's up first? Clark, I am. Let's go to Gene in California. He says, you spoke last year about purchasing a vehicle through Costco's auto program in the age of COVID-19. Is that still one of the best options for, for buying a new vehicle? Definitely. The Costco program was designed in a way that works very effectively with the touchless, what's being referred to as touchless purchase and delivery. With the Costco car buying program, different than most other car buying programs, Costco is able to use its huge membership base, which I think is 60 million people, something like that, that they're able, and Costco's average um, income of the average member is much higher than virtually any, any retailer's base of customers. So you're dealing with a, a much more affluent than average household with a Costco. So dealers clamor to be the Costco dealer in an area. They only have one for each brand in an area. And so that dealer then knows they're going to get a substantial volume. In return for getting that huge book of business, they're having to shave their margins. But the volume is worth it because of what they get, the kickbacks they get from the manufacturers many times referred to holdback money. So with the Costco program, you go to Costco.com, sign into your membership, or if you are still going into the Costco, they'll have the brochure, the full-color brochure, with the dealer, participating dealer for each brand. So then whichever way you do it, you contact the individual or individuals at that dealership who handle Costco member vehicle purchases. They give you a set price for that vehicle, and there's no games, no gimmicks. And if there are any, if there's anything the dealership does that's not right in your opinion, immediately contact Costco member services and let them know that a dealer was playing dirty pool with you. Costco will not tolerate that, and they will exile that dealer from their ranks if a dealer gets complaints of behaving in a dishonest, crooked, or unethical way. And then you know you're dealing with a clean transaction. It may not be as cheap a price as a very aggressive shopper 
checking prices all over the place could do somewhere else. Most people don't tend to be that aggressive of shoppers and will find that the price is good and that the process is very simple. Many dealers have pivoted to being able to do contactless deliveries, so you will not have to deal with doing paperwork face-to-face or taking delivery of the vehicle in close contact with individuals from the dealership. Kim? Stephen in Oregon says, I'm 100% debt-free, including my home mortgage. I'm 52, married, two adult kids, and I have money in the bank. I feel like I don't need life insurance anymore. Why am I still paying for it? Well, that's a great question. The purpose of life insurance is replacement of income. And if nobody would need that or benefit from that replacement of income, then you could choose not to pay for that life insurance anymore. I don't know from your post if you're dealing with whole life, variable life, universal life, or some form of term life insurance. But if it's anything other than term, any of what the industry likes to call permanent insurance, there may be tax implications in how you would choose to walk away from that policy. It's also possible if you have a form of permanent life insurance that you may be in it enough years that there's an actual built-in benefit in the return on the policy that would make it worth you keeping. And what I would recommend if it's not a term policy, if again, if it's variable universal life, variable universal life, or whole life, that you use the service offered by the Consumer Federation of America, it's a nonprofit consumer organization, to have that life insurance policy checked out and give you a report on whether it's one you should keep, you should can it, or you should do something else that may be a conversion privilege in it. I'm not going to get into how that works. But if you want to see how this service works, go to evaluatelifeinsurance.org. Again, evaluatelifeinsurance.org. You pay for this service, but it's worth it because you get true, complete, unbiased advice for a hundred and something bucks. Joel? Clark Joan in Wisconsin says, my 12-year-old granddaughter earns about $250 a week babysitting for work-at-home neighbors. Can she start a Roth with the yes. money that she's making? Yes, yes, do it, do it. <laughs> this is great. So when you're doing work not for family, you're doing a job of any kind, you document the income, and yes, doing that Roth at 12 is just unbelievably fantastic because it will get your 12-year-old one additional turn of her money. And what that means is that money roughly invested roughly doubles every 8 to 10 years. Money put in preteen will get one turn before early stage adulthood, meaning that a dollar put aside today becomes so many dollars, uh, you know, 55, 60 years from now, it's unreal. So, yes, and you can do uh, Roth for very little money with Schwab, I think 100 bucks you can open one for a child with them. With Fidelity, you need $1, and they're extremely low-cost investments. 
you can do with either with fidelity you can actually do the fidelity zero funds and you would pay no commission and no fees ongoing kim darren in indiana says i've heard your wise thoughts on longevity insurance and it's gotten me thinking you advise people in their 50s and 60s to consider this option I'm wondering why you don't encourage people in their 20s and 30s to fund one of these policies. It seems to me as though the premium that would be charged at this young age would be much, much less. Could you comment on this? Sure. Okay. So the deal is you have to consider life stages when you do something. And in 20s or 30s to buy longevity insurance is a bridge too far. We have no idea what's going to happen in any of our lives uh, when we're 80 or 85 years old. And so it would be not a priority now. There are so many different priorities building up, uh, you know, money for retirement, building up a rainy day account, making sure that you have, if you end up with children, that you have the money to pay for those kids over the years and Uh, pay or help with their education costs. So this is a priority for later in life. And actuarially, the insurance industry is really set up for people to buy longevity insurance around age 60 to 65. And I've actually never heard of anybody buying it before that point in their lives. So that's why you don't hear me say it is it's just not it doesn't even make my priority list till later in life. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Here on the Clark Howard Show, I'd like to ask you when you have a question for me to go to clark.com slash ask to post it. And then producers Kim and Joel are asking the questions you have sent for me. And Joel, who do you have a question from? Clark got one from Deborah in Ohio. She says, what's your take on Alibaba.com? Is that a legitimate site in order to order products from that are of good quality? Uh, It is a legitimate site. It is possible that Alibaba will sell you stuff that is not great quality. It is like a giant cross between eBay and Amazon. It is, I think it's the world's largest internet sales platform. I'm, I'm trying to remember if Alibaba is bigger. I think it is bigger than Amazon though I could be wrong about that. And it is based in China, and they sell massive amounts of goods from China and from other places within China and around the globe. 
So you will find on Alibaba many times cheaper prices than you're going to find on other sources. Sometimes the things sold as brand names will be counterfeit, and sometimes the quality will not be the best. Now, there's another site I've talked about from time to time that we, over the years, had a lot of Clark Stinks about, and that's Wish. Wish is another seller of very uh, things being sold at very good prices, kind of amazing prices, but sometimes the quality of the goods or the how reputable the seller is, uh, well, not so much all the time. So if you went to either Alibaba or you went to Wish, you would see things for sale that you're like, how could it possibly be that little money? And sometimes you're getting a steal of a deal. Other times, buyer beware. Kim? Michael in Colorado says, I have a POA for my elderly mother's financial affairs. I want to freeze her credit account since there is zero need for her to have any additional credit. How do I go about this? So you want to freeze her credit accounts. I'm not sure what that means exactly. Credit freeze. Oh, I didn't think that's what that meant. I believe that is what he is implying because she doesn't need any additional credit. So if they were frozen, no one would be able to open it in her name, including her. She'd have to unfreeze it first, right? Yeah. So what happens, and this happens all the time with elderly relatives, people um, commit an act of what I would call a friendly act of fraud where they impersonate the individual who they're freezing the credit file for and People do this in families just absolutely routinely. And if you're a lawyer rolling your eyes at me saying that, it's real life that if they have an aging parent, that a kid who's taking care of that parent or helping to will go online and pretend to be that parent, set up the credit freeze, and then you don't have to worry about somebody applying for credit as if they are, in fact, that parent. Very, very simple process. Um, You said you have power of attorney in circumstances involving your mom, and power of attorney may not be everything you need to have. I would suggest to you, if you don't have what is generally referred to as a durable power of attorney for health care, you should set that up as well. That allows you, in the event your parent is not in a position to state their wishes because of a medical condition, maybe they're unconscious or whatever, that you were given the authority by your parent to act in their best wishes. And in most of these cases with a durable power, the parent gets to state within certain areas what they'd like to have happen if they can't speak for themselves. This is the Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.